Amen. It is good to be here tonight. Amen. Amen. Are you guys excited to be here? You're excited to pray for this nation, to see the revival that God has burning in his heart for this nation come to pass? Are we excited about that? Man. Uh, As Pastor Myungwa mentioned, my name is is John. I am uh, the executive director of worship of New Philadelphia Church. Encompasses a few things. I'm also the director of K1, Kingdom First Prayer Tabernacle. And uh, how, many of you, have you, um, how many of you have ever been to K1 Prayer Tabernacle? Just put your hands up. Yeah, okay, that's a lot of you have been there. K1 is a place where a lot of exciting things are happening all the time. We have prayer watches uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday evenings, Wednesday mornings. And uh, you guys should all come out. If you've never come out, I'm just giving you a shameless plug right now, right off the bat before I say anything else. Come out to Kingdom First. Your life will be changed. Uh, I don't say that with any, you know, any hesitation because I know that God's doing a mighty thing there. This past Thursday, we, uh, we had an amazing time. Oh, past Tuesday, I should say. Uh, I wasn't there on Thursday. Past Tuesday, I had an amazing, sweet time in the Lord's presence. Sole was leading praise, and uh, crazy things were happening in the room. If you want to come, enjoy the Lord. Come out to Kingdom First and Hong Day. There's information on our Facebook page, K1 House of Prayer is where you can find that. But uh, one thing we're doing at, at our prayer tab these days is uh, we're praying through and singing through Scripture. And normally, we pray and sing through both the Psalms and Song of Songs. If you guys have been there ever, you know that every, every prayer watch, we go through a passage of Psalms, uh, a psalm, and a passage from the Song of Songs. But recently, we, we did a change-up. For this month, we're doing something different, uh, totally different for us at K1. Instead of praying and singing through the Psalms, we're spending time praying and singing through the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Very different for us. It's a new challenge. Uh, but it's, uh, it's been really exciting. If you want to get deeper into that, that passage this month, come on out. You'll get challenged by that, uh, by just being the Lord's presence and digging into it. And I feel like the Lord has a word for us tonight out of the Beatitudes. Okay. So I want us to turn there right away to Matthew five. Beatitudes, Matthew 5. And the Beatitudes are the beginning, the first passage of what we well know as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. And the Beatitudes are a really great expression of what people, uh, many people in the church refer to as the upside down kingdom. I don't know if you guys have heard that term before. It's, uh, it's a kingdom that looks like it's positioned uh, the other way from where it, it should be. Uh, if you read the Beatitudes, most people who read the Beatitudes will, will think these phrases sound like they must be from some other planet because they're so far from what we typically see on earth. They just look completely different than what most people experience and what most people strive for 
on earth. It's called the upside down kingdom. We, t- we see Jesus talking about it all the time. We see Jesus talking about how the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, right? It doesn't make any sense. Isn't the kingdom of God huge? And Jesus says, yeah, it's huge, but it starts off really small. It's upside down. It, it, it blows your mind because it's, it's completely other from the way you think. God's thoughts are far above our own thoughts. And this is a passage of scripture that exemplifies that, okay? So let's, I'm just going to read through Matthew 5, I'm going to start from verse 2 in the ESV. And he opened his mouth, that's Jesus, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Now again, when you see these these phrases... And you read them, uh, maybe before you came, uh, maybe before you were a Christian, or maybe before you really met the Lord. Again, they made very little sense because what you see in the earth is basically the opposite of them, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who actually believes that? Especially outside of the church. Who really believes that the poor in spirit, that the needy, that the, the dependent are blessed? You know? Who really believes that those who mourn, those who are sad, those who are crying, who really believes that they're blessed? Really? Do you really believe that? Now, like, we believe it because it says it here and we get it in our minds. But do we really believe that? That those who mourn are actually blessed. That they're blessed. The world takes this and turns it upside down and says, ah, this is right. This is the way things are, the way things should be. Uh, I don't know if you know, but, you know, we have a Bible as Christians, but Satanists also have a Bible. I don't know how many people know that, or hopefully you've never read it, but, you know, <laughs> uh, I have a confession tonight. Uh, I was one, this is many years ago, I was once, I was in a bookstore, and I was in the religion section. Because that's where Christians, you know, often go in a bookstore. And, uh, and I happened to notice a Satanist Bible there. I thought, wow, I did not know Satanists had Bibles. That's, that's really interesting. And so I picked it up and just out of curiosity started flipping through. I don't recommend anyone do this, by the way. I'm just saying this is what I did. And uh, I came across this passage that was, it was like the Beatitudes, but it was the opposite. In the Satanist Bible. 
And I don't remember exactly what the, you know, the wording of everything was because I don't try to remember these things. Uh, but uh, I, don't, I don't memorize the book of Satan. I, not putting that to memory, it's not worth my memorization. Um, but it's, it was the upside-down version of them. And that one I remember was, blessed are the powerful. That was one of the statements that was made. I thought, that's really interesting. But that's what the world believes. That's the spirit of the age. You know, that, that's what's actually out there. And, you know, when, when Pastor John Michael was, was preaching not long ago on, uh, on do what thou wilt, for the Itaewon people who are here, or if you listen by podcast, that's, you know, Satanists will teach basically what the world believes and what the world practices. And what Jesus teaches is completely countercultural. It's completely upside down. It doesn't make any sense to you unless you're in the spirit. If you're not in the spirit, it makes zero sense to you. Your mind is closed to it. But this is the way the Beatitudes run. And by the way, if you want to know why is it called the Beatitudes, does anyone wonder that? Like you've heard that a lot, Beatitudes. What does that even mean? I was wondering the same thing, so I looked it up. So just for information, it's from the Latin. Uh, The Latin for blessed is beatus. Just so you're in the know, that's why they're called the Beatitudes. Now you can inform other people if you choose to do so, sound really smart. That sort of thing. Uh, but what I want to focus on tonight, I just want to focus on one of these beatitudes, one of these statements that we're pressing into at K1 this month. And that's the fourth beatitude in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We're going to dig into this one statement for the entire message. You guys ready for this? Okay. First thing we need to address when we look at this statement, which is actually important for all of Beatitudes, is what this word blessed means. Okay? What does Jesus mean when he's talking about people being blessed? The Greek word for blessed literally means happy. Maybe you've heard that before. There are translations or paraphrases of of the Bible where it actually uses the word happy instead of blessed. I think the message, uh, Eugene Peterson uses the word happy to to really explain and shed light on what Jesus is communicating here. But it's it's not like a circumstantial happiness. It's not really happiness the way we experience it or intend for it to to mean uh, in our culture. It's, it's a deeper word. And that, this is really why most translations of the Bible don't use the word happy, because it's deeper than that. It's happy, but it's also blessed. Happiness, the English word happy doesn't quite capture this Greek word, uh, makarios. But it's important for us to understand that it really does mean it. It's like a deeper happiness. It's a happiness that's too rich to really be fully communicated by the word happy. But I want us to use the word happy tonight because that's really what it's talking about. Often when we say blessed, we don't really know what we're talking about. What does it even mean to be blessed? You know, blessed this, blessed that. We're going to use the word happy tonight because that's going to be more helpful for us in understanding what it means, okay? So when you read through the Beatitudes then, you can accurately read through them by saying or reading, happy are the poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What, happy, are those who, happy are those who mourn. Does that make any sense to anyone here? Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Okay. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so on. Accurately understood as happy. Are we there? Okay. It's important for us to understand that God is very interested in our happiness. Do you believe that? God is, is committed to our happiness. Are we there? I'm going to keep pushing it. God is, God prioritizes our happiness. How's that? Am I pushing it a bit? Is that making anyone uncomfortable here? God prioritizes our happiness. And God is so into us being truly happy. Most people don't, a lot of people don't understand this. In the church, we typically don't teach that Jesus prioritizes our happiness because that sounds wrong. We would say that Jesus prioritizes our holiness. That Jesus is for our holiness. He doesn't really care about our happiness so much, right? And we say that, you know, Jesus, he wants us to be holy. He doesn't care if we're happy. He just wants us to be holy. Jesus indeed wants us to be holy. But he wants us to be happy. All right? When I was growing up, I did not understand this. Okay? Anyone here uh, ever read John Piper's book, Desiring God? Put your hands up if you read it. Don't be ashamed. Wow, that's good. Desiring God. It's kind of like John Piper's, you know, the, the foundation for all that he teaches, really, or a large portion of what he teaches, is in this book. I first came across this book when I was in college, and it's got a lot of great stuff in it. And uh, the thing is, when I first came across it, I was, I was in a Bible study group in my church in Canada, and... We were, going, we were deciding what book we were going to study. We were going to take a break from studying just the Bible. We wanted to study a book together. And someone brought this book up as a suggestion. And I thought, great, I'll, I'll check it out. And I was reading the first chapter of this book. The book is really about happiness. It's about enjoyment. It's about being satisfied. And John Piper makes these statements in this book like, like happiness, God, your happiness is, is the most important thing to God. Your satisfaction is the most important thing to God. When I read this, I was highly offended. <laughs> really, I was, and I was, even though I was one of the younger people in this like, college and career group, I was, I was very outspoken about this because I had a very strong stance for theology. And, uh, and I was like, this, this isn't right. And I was like, we, so we were just deciding if we were going to do it yet. We started into it. And I brought it up with a group. I, th- I said, this, this is... This is heresy, essentially. <laughs> we, we can't study this book because John Piper's teaching that the most, like, the most important thing is, is our satisfaction in life and our, our joy in life. He's emphasizing this so much, it's not right. And because I, because I was so outspoken about this book, we dropped it. <laughs> and, and we went into something else. And I don't remember what we went on to. Uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle that. You know, God was so interested in our happiness. 
John Piper was not conservative enough for me at that stage in my life. You might be dealing with the spirit of religion if John Piper is not conservative enough for you. It might, be the, it might not be the case. It might be the case. And then years, years later, I, I got interested in this girl, and she was like in love with John Piper. And, uh, and so I thought I'd give John Piper another try at that point, because that would be worth it. And then I opened up, and then, oh, John Piper, he's, he actually writes some good stuff. Uh, and he does. He, and I, I highly value what John Piper contributes to the church. Uh, but that's, that's all to say that I've learned since then through, through studying and through growing with the Lord that God is very interested in our happiness. Why is that? Well, is, is there anyone else in the universe that's happier than God? Is there? Is there anyone in the universe that's happier than God? Is happiness an accurate representation of who God is? And if it is, can I reflect the glory and the beauty and the majesty of God if I am not happy? Can I? I can't. If I decide I'm going to be stern and like really serious and not be happy. And people have often known me for being very serious. That's people's perception of me from time to time. You know, I, I can't reflect God accurately if I'm not happy. God does not want me to, to represent him inaccurately. So he's going to commit to me being happy, truly happy. God wants each and every one of us to be truly happy. Do you believe it? He loves it. He loves it when we're happy. John Piper's big statement from this book, which I think is great, is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's a statement worth chewing on. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So God's going to build up a people for himself on this earth who are satisfied in him, who are truly happy. The Beatitudes are about happiness, okay? They're about how we can be happy. They aren't necessarily things we're supposed to strive for, but they're ways in which, positions in which, we can be truly, truly happy. We got that? Beatitudes. Happiness. Okay. Next. We're just like taking this apart, basically word by word. This one sentence. The second thing we got to understand is what the word righteousness means. Righteousness. Greek word, dikaiosune. I won't get into the meaning of that yet, but again, when I was younger, I did not accurately understand what the word righteousness means because I grew up with an understanding that righteousness was all about doing good things, reading the Bible, going to church, you know, praying, obeying my parents, that sort of thing. 
I thought that that's what righteousness is. Righteousness is, is being an, a good person. It's like being like chake, right? It's being like, like that's righteousness. That, that's, it's a Korean word for like, what, nice, right? That's probably the like closest English word to it. Being a nice person. That's righteousness, right? And so for a good portion of my life, I strove, as someone who was trying to take the word of God seriously, I strove to be a really nice person. Because I thought that was like the pin, that's right, like what's greater than righteousness, right? And my understanding of righteousness, I got to be a nice person. But what it really means, when you get into the, the meaning of the Greek word, it simply means this. What is right and just. What is right and just. Now that's a very broad meaning, right? That can mean all sorts of things. It goes far beyond doing, you know, nice things or good or moral things in your private world. It's about doing things that are right and just. Actually, there's one translation that I came across, a New Living Translation, that translates verse 6 as this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied, or they will be satisfied. And that's as accurate an understanding as the word righteousness. Justice and righteousness, the foundation of the throne of God, Psalm 97. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Righteousness is about the works of the enemy being completely and utterly destroyed. Amen? Amen? Righteousness is about the kingdom of God advancing on this earth. The church advancing on this earth. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is about the expansion of the rule and reign. The manifest presence of of God on the earth. When Jesus talks about righteousness, that's what he's saying. Whatever is right and just, whatever conforms to the standards of God, whatever conforms to the standards of heaven, that's righteousness. Righteousness is about the doors of North Korea opening up. Amen? Amen. Righteousness is about strong families being built in Korea. Amen? Amen? Righteousness is about husbands and wives having babies in this land. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> My wife and I just announced publicly yesterday that we're expecting a baby in January. So our first baby. And that's, that is righteousness. That is the standards of the kingdom of heaven. No, really. And John Michael, Pastor John Michael preached before that, you know, God's calling us to multiplication, right? Be fruitful and multiply. If you have two babies, that's not multiplication. You know, it's consider having more. Anyways, that's get married and then have babies. Yes. Anything that is in the heart of God is righteousness. P. 
People coming to the Lord is righteousness. Revival in the church is righteousness. Every single prayer point we prayed for tonight is righteousness. I was going to have John put them up again, but I, we don't need to do it. It's okay. It's okay, John. We're going to leave it. If you can remember everything we prayed for tonight, that's all righteousness. The things that are in the hearts of God, the things that burn inside of his heart, that's righteousness. Reconciliation between people, righteousness. Your boss coming to the Lord, righteousness. Brothers dwelling together in unity, righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. When Jesus uses the term righteousness here, he means the whole spectrum. When you hunger for the things that are in God's heart, you'll be blessed. So we got that. We've got the word blessed means happy. The Beatitudes is all about happiness. Righteousness, much more than going to church and reading your Bible. It's about the rule and reign of Christ advancing on the earth. Righteousness. Okay? Third thing. Hunger and thirst. I'm not going to explain what hunger and thirst mean or give you any Greek words because they're pretty straightforward. (laughs) It won't be that helpful. But what we need to think about regarding hunger and thirst is the nature of hunger and thirst. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for something? When you're hungry, it means that there is, like physically, when you're physically hungry, there is a desire in your body. There is a craving in your body for something. It's a craving in your body for something but it hasn't been satisfied yet. There's something, you feel a need. You don't necessarily have a need at that point if you're hungry, but you feel a need. You feel a desire, a yearning for something that you at that moment haven't seen the fulfillment or the fruition of. You're hungry. And I don't think anyone really likes being hungry, right? Most people do not really desire. They don't like, you know, people have hunger strikes, but there's you know, there's a purpose for that. People don't really like the sensation if they're, you know, a healthy human being. They don't like the sensation of being hungry because there's a tension in it. There's a desire and a longing that hasn't been fulfilled, hasn't been satisfied. When people get hungry, they can get, you know, uh, grumpy, irritable. I know I, now that I've used those words, I was going to use my wife as an example. Uh, (laughs) But she said that I could. She said that I could. You know, if my my wife is is hungry, then she's not going to be very happy. I, I guarantee, like she, like she needs, if she needs food, she needs food. We got to do it now. Otherwise we have to get, and, and 
you know, being pregnant doesn't make that better. You know, you need, you need food when you need food. If you're not throwing up all the time, right? If, if that's not your, you know, experience. But nobody really likes being hungry. You know, for many of us have fasted before. And when you're fasting, it's not really enjoyable to go to places where people are eating. Right? I remember <laughs> New Philadelphia had a, a 21-day fast. It was a few years ago now. It was in 2010. We did it together, the leadership. And um, I remember during that time, the Emmaus staff had a banquet. Or the, the Emmaus ministry had a banquet. And so all these fasting Emmaus staff members went to this big banquet and they couldn't eat anything, you know? And I thought, man, that's for the Lord. You know, they did that for the Lord. And, that, and I thought, man, that must be really hard. I remember during that time as well, you know, we're more blessed in Korea than we used to be with, with a lot of things. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of things have come into the country. Th- there was a time, for those of you who are more recent to the country, where we didn't have Taco Bell. Can you believe that? At one, at one time, I've been around for a while now, there was a time when, where we didn't have Taco Bell. And it was during that 21-day fast when Taco Bell in Itaewon was being built. And I remember thinking, man... This is not a good feeling in my stomach right now. Because when you're hungry, you have this desire for something not being satisfied. No one likes being hungry. Do we get that? I don't think anyone here really likes being hungry. We're usually not happy when we are hungry. And now here's where the tension lies in this passage. Happier those who hunger and thirsts for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. Not they are satisfied. Right now, they are not satisfied. That is a future tense thing. It's not happening right now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For some time in the future, they will be satisfied. But right now, I'm happy. Right now, I'm happy in the hunger. I'm hungry and I'm happy. In the flesh, that will not make any sense to you. But in the spirit, you can catch that. Happier are those. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. The thing with praying for our nation here is that we pray month by month, week by week, many of us day by day for this nation. And so often, we don't see the fruition or the fulfillment of the things we are praying for. And that can cause discouragement that can cause disheartenment, that can cause disillusionment. And Jesus says, you're happy when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for you will be satisfied. Because the things that we're praying for, we don't see, every once in a while, we'll see a dramatic thing happen. And we praise the Lord for that. But the Lord's really calling us in for the long haul. He's calling us in to keep pressing in, to persist in prayer, to pray and not give up. And he speaks this over us. And he's speaking this over us tonight. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They haven't, felt the, they haven't seen the, the fulfillment of it yet. They haven't experienced, they haven't tasted the fulfillment of it yet. But blessed, but happier those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who hunger and thirst for my kingdom, who hunger and thirst for my rule and my reign. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for these things. They're not even tasting it right now, but they're hungry for it, and I'm making them happy for it. Are we getting this? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So I want to give three ways, three bits of insight for why we can indeed be happy in the place of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. How is that possible? How can we be happy in the hungering? How can we be happy in the thirsting? First thing. Hunger is always a sign of health. Do you notice that? In the physical, when you get sick, whether you have the flu or whether you have a cold or whatever it might be, the first thing that goes generally is your hunger. You stop desiring food because there's something wrong with your body. It can't take it, right? But when you get healthy again, what you notice is that your appetite returns. And that's a good sign. Whenever you become hungry again, that's a good sign because your body is being brought back to the place of health. Man, my experience is I don't, I don't get really sick that often. And I think because of that, the times that I do, I feel terrible. You know, I, I'm actually not a really, <laughs> I'm not a really empathetic person naturally when people are sick around me because <laughs> I don't, I don't experience it that much. But then when I do experience it, I'm like, oh, it's like the end of the world, you know? <laughs> like, oh, I, I feel so terrible. Uh, something that I've worked on over time. I'm more empathetic than I used to be. Uh, but what I've noticed in those times is how happy I am when I get hungry. Because I love to eat. You know, I, I enjoy eating. And when I'm sick, I can't. Spiritually, if you are not hungry for the things of God, that's a sign that there is something wrong with you. Something is not in order in your life if you are not hungry for the things of God. You need to eat, if you're you know, a healthy individual, you need to he- eat consistently. If you're not hungry, something's got to shift. Something's got to change. Jesus invites us into the place of hunger and says, it's a good thing. You should be happy. You should be happy because you're hungering and thirsting for the things that are real and true and eternal. You're thirsting and hungering for those things. You should be happy about that. That's a sign of health. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing. Is that hunger is a way 
in which we partner with the heart of God. Okay, hunger is a way in which we partner with the heart of God. Do you know there's no one in the universe who's more hungry and thirsty for righteousness than God is? It's not like there's not one shred of apathy in the heart of God. The heart of God is a raging fire filled with desire for things that have not yet come to fulfillment on the earth. The Lord is filled with desire for that. We said earlier that God is the happiest being in the universe. At the same time, he's the most zealous for the things of God to be made manifest on the things or on the earth. God invites us into oneness with himself. We become truly who we are as human beings because when we're most like God, we're actually most who we, who we really are. We're most human when we're like God. Now, some people say, you know, things like I, I sin because, you know, it's, it's just who I am as a human. You know, I, I have weaknesses because it's who I am as a human. It's only that way because of the fall, because of our, the sinful nature that we've inherited through Adam. But to be like God or to be, to be human is to be like God ultimately. To be human is like fully human is to be what Adam was before the fall. The more we are like God, the more we're truly who we were made to be. And we're being conformed into the image of Jesus day by day. And someday when we see him, we'll be like him. For we shall see him as he is. When we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, God's inviting us into the place of his desires. God's saying, come be with me. Come alongside me. I'm hungering and thirsting for the kingdom of God to come upon the earth. Come join me in that. Is there any greater privilege in the world than to be beside the Lord in hungering and thirsting for the things of God? You can be happy because you're being made more one with the Lord in his heart, in his desires for his rule and his reign to be established and furthered on the earth. Does that make sense? So it's a sign of health, and it's a partnering with the heart of God, which is where the greatest, hap- the greatest happiness always lies. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Third thing, third way in which we can truly be happy is because of the end of the sentence. We will be satisfied, brothers and sisters. We will be satisfied as we hunger and thirst for the things of God. He promises this. Now, I believe it's twofold. I believe there is an ultimate fulfillment in the future where Jesus comes and, and rules and reigns on the earth in his physical body and makes all things right. That's the ultimate fulfillment of righteousness. Heaven on earth, when it comes down, when the new Jerusalem is established, that's the ultimate and full, complete fulfillment of righteousness. But there is a fulfillment in this age as well. There's a fulfillment in our lives. 
things are taking place, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, as we partner with the heart of God, as we come into agreements with the heart of God, God is making his kingdom manifest on the earth. He's doing it here and he's doing it now. Even when we're not tasting it, it's not far off. We know as we pray, God's making it more certain in our spirit. The time for North and South Korea to be reunited is drawing near. For anyone who's been praying into that over the last few years, you know in your spirit, this is happening. We will be satisfied. And this is simply the invitation I feel God has for us tonight. Is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And be okay with it. Be okay living in the tension. Be okay waking up in the morning and knowing things on earth are not the way they should be. But you're partnering with God and they're going to be the way they should be. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In some ways, in some ways I feel like I, I, I preach to the choir tonight because you guys are here. Because when we pray, you know, we're, this, we're pressing in for the things of God. We are hungry and thirsting for righteousness here. But there are going to be many days when we wake up and we're just, we may be discouraged or we may give up or we may just get busy with other things and forget about why we're actually here in this nation. Every single one of us being here for the glory of God being made known in this nation, for revival in this nation. God invites us, come join me. God says, I'm hungry and I am thirsty and I want you to join me. I want to let the Lord just keep speaking this to us for a bit. Susie, if you can come up and play. Just close your eyes. Just let the truth of the word of God settle in your spirit. That in the spirit, hungering and thirsting in this age are where we were made to be. The greatest thing in the world is when we're in glory with the Lord. When the fulfillment is there. Someday God's going to wipe away every tear. Gladness and joy are going to overtake us completely. And sorrow and sigh are going to flee away from us. That's the best place and the best position we can be in our, our eternal existence. But the second best place is partnering with God in the hungering and thirsting for his kingdom on the earth.
there's a grace here tonight to really lay hold of this. Maybe you came tonight because you thought it was a good thing to do. Maybe you've been coming out to joint prayer meeting because you thought it's a, it's a good thing to do. It's, a, it's the right thing to do. But you haven't been coming out because you're hungry and thirsty in your spirit for the things of God. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray. Because there's grace here to receive that and to be awakened to that and be established in it tonight. So if the Lord is speaking to you and that's you, you just feel like you haven't been hungry and thirsty. You've just been showing up. Maybe because you've gotten somehow jaded or slightly jaded in the waiting and wondering, is this actually going to happen? Am I actually going to see, you know, the doors of North Korea open up? Am I actually going to see suicide rates dramatically drop? Am I actually going to see, you know, divorce rates dramatically drop in this land? And you've been lacking a a true hunger and a thirst and a happiness in that place. And you want the grace of the Lord for that. Then I invite you to stand. we were made to find joy in the place of intercession intercession was made to be a joyful thing to be a thing that we enjoy that we delight in even in the laboring that takes place in intercession it was made to be a delight and a joy because of partnering with the heart of God it's being with your daddy it's wanting the things that he wants and saying yes and amen. Let's do that. Let's see that established on earth. Man, that'd be amazing. So, Father, I bless those who are standing right now who are expressing a hunger and thirst to be made a hungry and thirsty God, truly, for your kingdom rule and reign, for righteousness to be established, for justice to be established on the earth. So I speak that forth in Jesus' name, that you would awaken in their hearts a hunger and a thirst, a longing, God, a burning with the things that burn in your heart by your spirit, God. Light that fire into every heart, every standing heart, God. Light that fire into every heart by your spirit, God. We say yes and amen, God. Come make our hearts like yours. Come put the desires that are in your heart in our hearts, Father. 
that we would find true joy, deep joy in the place of hunger. Because we will be satisfied. Yeah. Yeah, I pray for all of us tonight, God. Lord, this would not be a once a month thing or even a once a week thing interceding for this nation, Lord, that we'd be awakened to the truth of why we are here, God. For such a time as this, God, you have called us to this land to not give up, to press in, God, not striving, but just flowing and running, God, with your hearts, being propelled by your desires, God. Teach us to love this land the way you love this land, God. Yeah. Yeah, establish these in hunger and thirst in Jesus' name. We thank you for it, God. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. We're going to continue to pray.